Uh, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle uh, chimed in on the U.S. election and essentially encouraged people to vote for Joe Biden. I wanted to get your reaction to that. I'm not a fan of hers. And uh, I would say this, and she probably has heard that, but uh, I wish a lot of luck to Harry. He's going to need it. Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. He knew, you know? There is nobody who's consistently had better pop culture takes than the former President Trump. I mean, every time he nails it. It's a shame. The the, the archive of his Twitter has so many solid takes that only age even better with time. But the the one he had on Harry and, and Meghan, absolutely perfect. So good. So good. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode, beginning episode here of the Ruthless Variety program. We've got a huge week in front yeah. of us. We've got a very, very big guest this week. I'm not going to, should I leak? No, no, no. I'm gonna nope, nope, it. nope, nope. Make him wait. Make him wait. I'm going gonna to make him wait. But, but suffice to say, everybody's going to be very impressed, very impressed with what we've got going on. So, um, you know what we should check in on first is what, you know, where are they now? The folks who we have been going after, essentially just folks we've sunk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we have that New York Times story that dropped yesterday about the Lincoln Project, who who we'd been telling you folks, and, and, and we torpedoed them, and now they are essentially DOA. I mean, it's over for them. It's big trouble. It's big trouble. The, the New York Times story that Smug is referring to is entitled Inside the Lincoln Project Secrets, Side Deals, and Scandals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they've outlived their usefulness with the left when all of a sudden we are now in a situation where the New York Times is interested in the scandals uh, of the Lincoln Project. I mean, like I like I I've been saying, is it is so convenient. It's like right after election day, they're like, We're done with you, Lincoln Project. It's time to dump you overboard. You're full <laughs> of scandals, you know. You've got folks who are DMing young boys. You got to go now. Yeah, but they were okay with it until, you know, when they needed them because the, the New York Times, you know, broke the news that all the folks there knew about Weaver's misdo- you know, misdeeds since January of 2020. January of 2020. Yeah, well, that's, and I think what the big error here uh, that has been further exposed by the New York Times, the only new thing that we've learned thus far is that two of the founding members, uh, this Madrid and this Steslo character, got cut out of Steve Schmidt's deal uh, at the end of the election when he was trying to put together another media company to play off of the Lincoln Project. And, and these two got pretty hot under the collar about it, and uh, a rift uh, ensued. And that, I think that was what ultimately began the downfall that sort of the Weaver thing and everything else spilled out of. Yeah. You know what I like too is we had uh, George Conway, you know, Kellyanne's husband, noted Lincoln Project, what do we call him, affiliate? Yeah. You no, know, uh, involved with that, say that Lincoln Project should shut down absent full disclosure of its finances. As this detailed story shows, there's simply too much money that hasn't been accounted for, and I fear never will be. It's always funny how the rats try to scramble from the sinking ship, isn't it? But it, the funny thing is, is, it was all on FEC reports throughout, right? Yeah, so it's like- I mean, like, we, I, I can't tell you the number of journalists who I was sending these FEC reports to of, wow, this is just like incredibly sketchy, incredibly sketchy, these numbers that they're putting up. And... I, I won't name names. I had one journalist specifically say my outlet would not be happy with me publishing something like this, uh, which Come could on. be seen as hurting, uh, you know, Biden and, and coming off as helping Trump. Unbelievable. Yeah. Straight well, up. They told me. 
I knew they were in big trouble post-election when Steve Schmidt reached out to AOC to say, we're, uh, we like waitresses. We routinely tip them 50%. Isn't that something? Like, what a scumbag. I knew immediately the libs were like, okay, we, we were comfortable for a while, but not any longer, fella. It's really something. <laughs> I, it, it, it's, it's, it says so much about the modern liberal movement, which is just like, they believe in absolutely nothing. They just want to win elections. They have they have no core beliefs. And anyone who, who is useful up until election day, they welcome. It doesn't matter if it's like Hannibal Lecter. They're like, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah, we can work with you. And the media and the media was actively complicit totally. in, their, in their scam. Totally. Um, and we've mentioned it previously, but of course, I mean, MSNBC basically used the Lincoln Pact as an extension of its media empire as a super mm-hmm. PAC on. I mean, the they had the Lincoln Project co-founders on dozens of times onto morning joe they were contributors they were they were were all paid by msnbc i mean it 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 definitely crosses a gray line between corporate media and these grift packs where it's like at some point this is like an in-kind contribution to the lincoln project seriously well that 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 is exactly right it it, it's not just an in-kind contribution i mean with the, the way modern campaigns are financed and structured and democrats are ahead of republicans frankly on this is through small dollar contributions that are commonly given during consumption of media, mm-hmm. right? And in this case, MSNBC, you wonder why it is that like Amy McGrath's of the world or Harrison's of the world, all these folks were raising tens of millions of dollars for races that weren't even anywhere near competitive is because they were being hyped by MSNBC. Well, yep. I mean, the reason that I call the Lincoln Project the political arm of MSNBC is precisely, Duncan, what you just laid out. That's what they did. They had all of their contributors on to raise money for this outfit. Oh, one other thing I wanted to note here, it wasn't just national cable news and your sort of like lefty cable outfits. I mean, this was sort of pervasive in the media ecosystem for the Lincoln Project. I remember, and Holmes, you probably remember this too, but during the McConnell and McGrath race, uh, the Lincoln Project came in, you know, with some attack ad against McConnell, one that I would say is actually pretty racist. Um, but when they did that, the Courier Journal also gave them uh, space on their op-ed page. Oh, Here, yeah. Here's why we're spending money in Kentucky. And 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 for our, our listeners at at home who who you know maybe don't work in politics. I can't think of any super PAC in America, whether, you know, Senate Leadership Fund, Priorities USA, Congressional Leadership Fund, any any of these outfits who would put up a thousand points in a DMA, you know, you know, put up a thousand points in Louisville and then go to the paper and get an op ed written. It's just not something that's typically done. But for the Lincoln Project, it was they sort of straddled this line between super PAC and media phenomenon in a way that like nobody has and and frankly shouldn't. Yep. No. And they, and they played it as well as they could a very complicit media in the downfall, but that's why it's extra sweet to watch what's happened over there. Cause it has been, they have been taken to the woodshed to say the least, but we do have others to check in on smug. Uh, I, I think it is the case that Nira's had an update. Yes, she has, you know, so, uh, you know, we, we, we are the champions is how <laughs> I would like to begin this segment. We are, in fact, the champions. We sank Neera Tandon's nomination to OMB. And as such, she has taken the L and updated her Twitter bio to reflect she is no longer a nominee to be OMB director. Oh, well, sad. So the, sad. The, yeah. the minions demanded it, frankly. They really made it happen. There's an <laughs> army of support. And thank you. You know, all credit to the minions for making that happen. Mobilized. <laughs> who just completely just decimated her hopes and dreams. <laughs> Yet again, Nira has to go crawling back to Cap. It's like, uh, you know, at the end of a Scooby-Doo or something when the, when the, when the villain is like, you meddling kids, I'll be back. That's, that's Nira Tandon. Will she be back, though? I, 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 I am that's cur- a great question. I, I am curious, and it's something we'll obviously watch here on the Ruthless Variety Oh, program. of course. Well, but, but here, like, I mean, you know, there's talk in the Biden administration about um, you know, putting her in for a position that doesn't require Senate confirmation. And I feel like if that's the case, maybe she lays low for a while. Now, you know? I think they, I think that that was all a ploy to yeah. suggest to Republicans, you ought to, you might as well just like let this one go because she's going to be a part of our team no matter what. 
I mean, oh. the reality is nobody wanted her. <laughs> if she should Klain, do, there's a it. job for her, and it should be the person who runs, you know, the White House Twitter account. It's pretty clear. She's got a knack for the medium. She I should think- be on there just dropping her crazy takes, fighting college students at two in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Call her out for supporting like war and doom. Well, you know, the White House Twitter account should be managed by New York Tan and telling college kids at 2 a.m. actually, <laughs> you know, trying to rob Libya for their oil is good. There is there is a fear, you know, that it's sort of like Star Wars where, you know, Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan Kenobi. And it's like, <laughs> I'll become more powerful than you could ever imagine. I mean, Nira, with access to her Twitter account, again, will just be an absolute spectacle. I think <laughs> if that if and when that does happen... We may need to do an emergency pod. We may need live analysis. We may need to go on Clubhouse and give some live takes because it will be furious. It'll be fantastic. You know, you know, Duncan, you bring up an excellent point that I have two things that, that branch off of. Number one, if, if Nira returns to her form on Twitter, I think she's going to be in the running, you know, for the liberal hack tourney, which, folks, it's oh. on the way. Oh, yeah. Get ready for that. Get ready for that special. So give me a little Listen, run. We need to address. Yeah. Give me a little run of the program there, guys. You know, how do you want to handle the, the liberal hack tournament this year? I mean, it's got to be like a selection Sunday kind of situation. And I say we, we, while we do the recording for the podcast, we should do like a Friday. We should just record it live for clubhouse and, and the folks we have on clubhouse get it on Friday and, and the folks who don't get it on the selection Sunday. I like that idea. As long as I can sing the oh yeah, I I just want to get into the mood of it. Yes, absolutely. It's too much, you know, like the hype. I'm I want to be the Clark Kellogg of this particular episode. I'm going to get a lot of deep analysis on each of the journals. Well, I also think I also think there's going to be a lot of movement, a lot of adjustment here. Oh yeah, over the the perennial powerhouses that that were in the tournament last year. I feel like. That will be an interesting point of controversy is, is how the seeding works out where it was, you know, compared to where it was last year. And that's that was point number two that I said, uh, because today we are going to have the King of the Hill game on today's variety program. <laughs> and who knows, Nira may be a contender in the future going forward. But, you know, the King of the Hill, we kind of you kind of need to be a former Republican. It's I mean, shit, she was she was essentially a neoconservative for a number of years, right? When she was telling Hillary, we need to go in and it, blood for oil is actually good. <laughs> Pro-war count? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, hell, if, 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 if we could consider people like Bill Crystal, former Republicans, it's hard to differ where Neera Tannen and Bill Crystal are. And and she know, was endorsed. I mean, look, look, Holmes, she was endorsed by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Oh, the veteran. That's Right. <laughs> The venerable <laughs> institution, a powerhouse on the right. <laughs> Incredible. Great point. Incredible. Um, we have a lot of new things. There's two more th- items that we need to hit here before we get to the new stuff. Uh, the, the, it, and they're both our scalps that we worked on. The one was the is the first uh, the first gentleman of Teen Vogue. Oh, you, you, let's get that update. Let's get that update on that. Yeah, so the first gentleman of Teen Vogue is, is TJ Ducklow. This is uh, congratulations. Yeah, so he was a scalp, if you re- you remember a, a month or so ago. But Alexi McHammond, his uh, partner over at uh, Axios, has since moved on to become the editor of Teen Vogue. And you know, congratulations. <laughs> congratulations is in order. It's um, listen. I got to tell you, if you're a parent out there. Don't let your kids pick up teen vote. I mean, like, maybe is it too boomer of me? But I am genuinely just like terrified by every single thing that I see Teen Vogue puts out, where it's like ostensibly this is for teenagers, and it's just like holy shit, this is just how to make your first Molotov cocktail to go to an Antifa riot. It's like why is Teen Vogue giving this information out? I don't know where it became teen Vogue. It should be terrorist Vogue. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, it has nothing to do with Vogue. Like this is not like an Anna winter kind of publication. This is basically like, this is why Marx was right folks. And here's why riots are good. Every parent's worst nightmare is contained in every month's episode or every, every month's 
uh, Teen Vogue. I'm really, you know, I'm interested to see what Alexis is going to do with that as editor in chief. It's basically the anarchist cookbook for (laughs) for the Teen Woke mob. It's 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 really (laughs) trash. It's like if the anarchist cookbook had an Instagram. So the the last uh, scalp on our scalp update is Cuomo, which over the weekend, the Washington Post uh, and a, a couple of journos over there uncovered. They were not done outing the number of women who have worked for Cuomo who've had problems with the governor's style, shall we say? Uh, I mean, it is really something. So I saw some takes where some libs were like, folks, we should believe all women uh, as long as there's a minimum of three people who come forward. And what's the count? I think we're up to five. Now we're, we're at four or five? Five? Is it five homes? Five? I think we, I think we have five today. Well, certainly more. I don't know if you guys remember this, but the the Democratic, um, you know, Senate Majority Leader in in New York said, you know, if there is one more, then it's time for him to resign. One more, yeah. And, and, and since then, I think we've gotten yeah, two more. Since we got then. there, yeah. Well, and and the trigger was pulled. The the Senate Majority Leader called on him to resign. You know, we hit that threshold. We we broke the minimum four, which is required for a Dem to be in trouble and we've now we're now five so it, it, it should it should also be very comforting to the people in new york to know that the, the five women who've come forward with their stories vastly have outweighed the thirteen thousand pine boxes that the seniors have found themselves in over the last six months you know that's the thing is it says so much about the media today that you have thousands upon thousands like we had janistine god bless her who's been you know the tip of the spear on revealing to people exactly what kind of horrific things the the Cuomo regime is responsible for when it comes to enacting policies which resulted in the death of folks' parents and grandparents and loved ones in these senior centers. But that that didn't get news. That didn't get news. It, it took, you know, all of Cuomo's Me Too, uh, I don't, I don't even what you call it. Like we, we have some instances where he was grabbing women. Like there's a photo even of him grabbing a woman at a wedding, but that's, that's what the media considers. Oh wait, that's too far. It wasn't that thousands upon thousands of people are dead as a result of his decisions. And they had the evidence, you know, he was hiding the evidence from the feds. That's something. Totally. So anyway, those are the, that's a scalp update. We got a couple of more. Look, we're, we're constantly moving. We've got mm-hmm. more that we're focused on and more that we're going to point our, our guns in the direction, our political guns. I don't want to be violent, certainly. <laughs> I don't want anybody to get that impression. Um, but politically speaking, we're interested in more results. And if you want results, you know where you come to the right variety. here. You listen to the Ruthless Variety program. That's exactly right. So in the interest of variety, we had we have noticed that the Brits have taken a significant liking to the program. Yeah, I, we've got, uh, I can't remember what thousand, I, I, you know, during our weekly meeting, we've we got many thousands of listeners from the United Kingdom. So, you know, thank you all for listening over there. And as such, we, we you know, uh, among other takes, we're going to have a new segment today that they and all our listeners should find very interesting. What do we got, Josh? Well, I think it's going to be a new segment because I'm very excited about this. We are introducing Hollywood Hen. And Hollywood Hen is not only a a royal expert, Mm -hmm. she's also our Hollywood correspondent. I'd Mm -hmm. like to welcome to the program Amanda Henneberg. Round of applause, folks. Thank you guys so much for having me on the program. Very (laughs) excited to be making my debut. See, I... I, um, what we'll start with here, Amanda, is that 17 million Americans uh, on Sunday night watched Oprah's interview with Harry and Meghan. I yeah. was one of those people. I am not a royal person, but I couldn't. It's a cultural event. How am I going to miss that? It's a cultural event. I don't even like Maggie, Meghan and Harry, and I watched it. Right, right. <laughs> so, but there. you're also a royal expert, deeply yep. sourced within yep. the crown, I might add. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so what's your take? So let me just give a quick recap for the couple people that did not watch the interview or seen the, seen the coverage, but basically, so Megan and Harry spoke with Oprah for the first time about why they decided to leave the Royal family. And it was basically a two hour wine fest 
about how hard it was to be a prince and princess, if you can even imagine, <laughs> um, and how they felt personally victimized by the media and the institution, as they call it. Um, I noticed that, you know, it's it's the institution. And, and the a, firm. The and firm. the firm. Yep. I kind of like the firm. That was kind of badass, if yeah. I'm yeah, quite honest. Firm. So I like I, I grew up. The firm was always the Grissom novel. Like right. I didn't know the right. firm <laughs> as a as a fellow boomer. When they said the firm, I was like, oh man, like the Grissom novel, right? Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, T- Tom Cruise played him. And I, I I know what that is. But yeah, no. I only I only knew that because I read so much Daily Mail. So I had I had uh, heard the firm before, but yeah. And you know, shout out to the Daily Mail who have mentioned the Ruthless Friday program twice. Yes, a publication they basically led them twice in the last two weeks. Right. Yes. Once you make it on Daily Mail, you know you've made it, I say. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so Hollywood Hen, let me ask you a couple of, of specific questions. Okay. I too found it whiny and ridiculous. Yes. yes. What the hell were they trying to accomplish? You know, it's a great question. I think what they were trying to accomplish was to get some sympathy from everybody. But also, Megan made it clear in the very beginning that she was trying to set the record straight because she had felt so misunderstood and misrepresented by the media. Um, the, the one thing that was like just glaringly apparent though is, I mean, the first half of the interview was all Megan and it was yep. what it was. The second half, they drag old Harry in there. Like and a sidekick, he, like a sidekick. The prince is a uh, sidekick. Isn't that in something? Interview. Yeah. Is, that's it's, very telling. The only reason this interview is happening is the sidekick that gets in at the end and it looks so uncomfortable. And looks unbelievably uncomfortable almost like he's being held hostage (laughs) and completely conflicted you can tell about being pulled in two directions between his wife and his family um and the choice that he made that's what that's what really gets me is like okay so oprah and, and Meghan markle are like okay harry time for you to come on and tell us about how your dad and grandmother and brother are all terrible people Please racists, begin. racists, right? right? Well, That's right. What, what what did he say that about uh, or, or 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 Megan allege? What did they say is racist about the royal family? They they claim that. Um, well, so so this was an interesting part because Megan's story about this and Prince Harry conflicted each other. So oh, so Megan was talking about how when they were deciding if Archie would get a title. And secure and security protection that people um, that people in the royal family who remained nameless um, made made some racial questions about her kid. You know, would he be about his skin tone? And she basically tried to tie the um, Archie's race to him not being titled and protected um, by security. But then when Harry came on, he was talking about how those conversations had nothing to do with the title or protection, but people made racial comments about what their kids could possibly look like, but they made them when they were dating and before they got married. Uh, so oh, that's pretty perceptive. I didn't even pick that up. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, so that was, that was that. <laughs> I mean, so, so, but that isn't even accurate with, with regard to the Royal titles. thing. Correct. Right? Correct. So the titling, actually has to do with uh, so there, there's a letter that they talk about that outlines who gets titles so right now kids of William and Kate automatically get titles kids of Harry and Meghan would get titles once um, Charles became king but these were things that were already laid out for them it, it was generations right yeah I mean, like it wasn't yeah. it wasn't really under discussion so then it begs the question, did Megan and Harry not want their kid to have like they, they made it into something that it, that it wasn't seemingly according to Daily Mail, because they you can go there and see they fact checked a lot of this episode. So or you can go see. I mean, doesn't she think but, but like, look, it's a pretty tough thing if you're married to someone to suggest that you go on primetime television and call their family a bunch of racists. That's, so that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. What kind of wife puts their husband in a position where in front of millions of people, they're supposed to slam their family? Oh. You know what? Here's my take. This is going to be a very controversial take. 
Harry, I don't know why he should just, you know, like his brother, he got a nice wife like Kate. She seems like she's, you know, very family oriented. Harry, I don't know. what. what I, I think President Trump had a point. Best of luck to him. <laughs> well, so, I mean, so, well, one thing I want to mention real quick is I feel like we sort of have glossed over the first, you know, 30, 45 minutes, which was Megan alone. Yeah. And there were some really stunning things in, in there as well. I mean, number one, like when she's doing the tour of the grounds and they've got, she said that they had rescue chickens that they rescued from a factory farm. Are you serious? I mean, yes. Which was just incredible. <laughs> rescue chickens. They have rescue chickens. It's also, it's also, it's hard to feel sympathy for someone who went from a castle to Tyler Perry's mansion to now what we saw was basically a lovely home in Santa Barbara. Yeah. You know? Wow. It's, it's like it, your life is, you're, that's a, that's a great life in my book. Well, and the, and the other thing, the other thing I, I noticed from that that early part of the interview, and they were talking sort of like, you know, the run up to 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 the wedding was was that Megan was sort of like purposely unprepared for royal life that she that she didn't do any research, like it, it was like naive, bordering on like arrogant. Yes, and let me also insider fact check there too. Um, friends Whoa. of friends who have some insiders over there sources um, within the crown sources yeah um have relayed to me hollywood hen that um those claims are completely untrue they have wow they have royal people there that onboard that onboard megan and other people and are there as resources and i don't know if she chose not to talk to those people or if she just was straight up lying um but even aside from that if she was unclear about something in the royal family, you can also ask your husband. I mean, <laughs> y'all, you also have one of the most, you know, insider people right there. So there's no way that she could have been un. If she was unprepared, she was unprepared by choice. And if she was unprepared by choice, then you never should be a royal. <laughs> that's that's her. Yeah, that's on her. That's on her. So that's why after I watched this, after I watched two hours of all of this, my takeaway was basically that. Kate Middleton is my feminist hero because that's if, the right take. If if life is as hard in the royal bubble as they make it out to be, then Kate has done a remarkable job, right? Maneuvering that world gracefully and as you know perfectly as you can. And oh, that's a hot take. I that's love a great and take. Lest, and lest we forget, she also has had her share of um, of bad press. We all remember Wady Katie. And all of those. <laughs> Katie, I, mean, I mean, people, people made it out to be like, you know, or not people, Megan and Harry made it out to be like, they'd only had horrible press. And that horrible press was one of the reasons why they couldn't take their Royal lives anymore. But Megan had glowing press in the beginning. Nope. And, you know, this press ebbs and flows. Kate has had great press. She's had horrible press. And if you're a Royal, it just comes with the territory and maybe, Maybe the key is not to take it so personally. Yeah, I, mean, I would argue. Is that a generational thing or something? Like, here's what I don't understand, right? We're in politics. We've been involved in politics a long time. There are plenty of people who have said terrible things about me on the reg. Uh, Smug's Twitter account looks like a <laughs> Vietnam on a day. <laughs> I mean, you kind of get used to taking criticism. I imagine when you're a royal, that's just on steroids all the time. And like the secret to the success of Will and Kate probably are like, I don't know, maybe don't read the Daily Mail on a hour by hour basis. Right. Well, and also remember, remember when we were all growing up and people would hurt our feelings or say something at school and our parents taught us to just ignore, you know, just to just ignore the bully, ignore the rumors, whatever. I feel like that didn't that didn't make its way to Megan and Harry. It's like they internalized and read everything. And it's like, just ignore it. We all don't think that you're actually ruining lives by eating an avocado. Like you can you, you get a pass on that. You know, that uh, this is a good question. Is 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 Harry are Harry and Megan technically like Zoomers and and are uh, was uh, William and Kate technically like millennials? Because it feels like it's a very Zoomer thing to be like, I'm the victim. And I'm going to go on TV or I'm going to go on TikTok and I'm going to drag everybody because that seems like the approach that they've decided to take. I mean, look, I, 
the one thing I would say is she definitely has a point that it's. Oh, not, here we go. Look, yep, look, look. Go. Wow. All I'm going to say is, is there's certain points in the ebb and flow that Hollywood Hen mentions where like clearly the media had set up this construct where Kate was the hero and Megan was the villain. You know, the avocado thing you mentioned with the editorializing around the two of them eating avocados. I mean, that's a perfect example. And I guess like just sort of like in a knee jerk way as a Republican who's experienced something similar, you know, where we're always set up as the as the villain, I could sort of empathize with that. Right. And like I also could empathize with her like kind of being uncomfortable with how these tabloids would have relationships with, you know, the crown and with the comms people and hosting these events and all this sort of stuff. And it's like, but these are the people who are shitting on me all day. Like, why? Like, why are you so nice to them? And her point was basically like, they're scared the media will give them bad press too. So that, that's all I wanted to say in her defense. Okay. All right. <laughs> wow. I just feel like if you are signing up. Okay. Let, let's, let's step back and let's, do we all remember my favorite girlfriend of Harry's Chelsea Davy? No. <laughs> No, this this is why you're the Hollywood correspondent. She was she was Harry's girlfriend when he was fun. Right. Back in the day. And you knew that she was fun. This was like, I don't know, mid 2000s to like 2000. Was this like Harry naked in the Las Vegas hotel room era? I I believe so. I believe so. So they had a great that was Harry's first real love. Right. And they had that 20 somethings up and down romance breakup you know, get back together, but it was awesome. And um, unfortunately it didn't work out because she has said, you know, at the end of the day, like I just couldn't take the Royal life, you know, like that wasn't for me, the, the attention, everything like that. I just realized that is something like I, I couldn't, I couldn't handle. I feel like in Megan's case, being, she was even older and wiser. Like if you're stepping into the Royal family, and you are making that choice as an adult and you know what comes with it. I just have a hard time sympathizing with you that the media was too harsh, yeah. you know, or that you couldn't handle the media. Like, it's just not, it's just, it's just not acceptable if you're going to step into that role. It comes with the territory. Totally. It's a, it's complete nonsense. Let me just give you my prediction at the end of this. And I, I don't, I know nothing in comparison to Hollywood hand on this stuff. But I was watching body language and I'm watching Harry sit there just as uncomfortable as he could possibly be as his wife is calling his family racists and everything else. There's no way this marriage doesn't end in complete disaster. Total disaster. There's no, this ends at some point in the next like 15, 20 years with King William, his brother, accepting Harry back in solo. Yeah. And you know why? Because he's going to realize that she Megan gets everything she wants. She gets to go back and live the exact life that she wants and be the center of attention and, you know, get all the deals and whatever. And he is, he has lost everything. She will have everything and he will have lost everything. And at some point I think he is going to resent her a thousand times over for that. My final take, she's, they're going to have a daughter and she's going to name it Diana because she loves the attention. A hundred percent. It's going to be Diana. And then maybe they'll do a, f- a photo with a newborn, just like Diana did. And my, my, apparently we're all doing final takes here. I know this is not a, <laughs> but my, my final take on this would basically be that, um, you know, basically what we're seeing is the zoomer mentality played out in the Royal family, like where people's, you know, freedom and passion and their lived experience is more important than, you know, your responsibilities and you know the convention that comes along with like signing up to be in the royal family and like having those obligations and i just i just don't see how the next generation in the royal family will be any different than Meghan markle like i you know just the way that that you know i hate to say it sounds so boomer but like kids these days like i i just don't see how you know even kids in the royal family like opt in to the sort of responsibility of the royal family when they can be like Megan and like get a podcast and a bunch of these deals and like being a, a royal will basically be like being a blue check on Twitter, you know. This is why this is why it's going to be key for William and Kate because I think that they have the ability to bridge this gap between kind of old world and new world and why it's going to be fascinating to watch to see how when it's their turn they kind of take all of this on. 
I love this. This is so good. The the inaugural segment from Hollywood Hen. We thought about doing this a couple of weeks ago with Spears. Yeah, but, Free Britney. But we need to keep it updated because I need to know what's happening on that. So this is going to be a regular, a regular. Yeah, there's um there's some upcoming court dates that will be of interest on Free it. Britney. Mm-hmm. I love it. Hollywood Hen, everybody. Thanks for having me on the program, guys. Thank you so much. Great new segment. So uh, before we get to the game show, which is everybody's fave, um, we need to eat some broccoli, unfortunately. <laughs> but it's important broccoli, and it's what gets us through. And, and the important part is what we should be focused on. We went through the scalps at the top. Here are the scalps that we need to get. I thought we'd also include the stimulus, this COVID package that went through last week. And, and remind people that we are in a situation where the Republican Party, as much as the Democrats would like to write us off as sort of like adrift, are very much not. And the first example I can give you of that is this COVID package, $1.9 trillion boondoggle that passed that all of a sudden united the Republican Party just five weeks in after an incredibly disappointing election to have unanimous opposition to it. I, I remember in 2009, I remember how difficult it was to try to unite Republicans against the Obama stimulus. We were unable to do it at that point. The Republican Party, both in the House and the Senate, was unanimously opposed to this piece of garbage legislation. I think they deserve credit for it. Yeah. Um, this The thing is that it's incredibly partisan i don't want to give away any of any of the tweets that i'm going to be using later in the king of the hill but but just looking at where the money is actually going is very telling about the purpose of it well and and we covered it right like we 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 did that new little game show segment smug was obsessed with having the second door option if you may recall <laughs> door number 2 yeah but i mean i mean it shouldn't be lost and i think one to you know to holmes's point why we were able to keep the republican conference together is like republicans passed two covid you with, know bills in with the 90 with plus nine, right votes. right bipartisan bills you know that that got buy in you know across the ideological spectrum and now um you know Biden is just selling out to the teachers union so they can extort taxpayers and parents and not open schools. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it is hopefully a good indication of things to come, you know, as we get into some of this, these other pieces of legislation, which are, you know, even worse. Yeah. I mean, and here's the history lesson here, right? In, in 2009, when we'd just gotten crushed in two straight elections and Republicans were at 40 seats in the Senate, huge minorities in the house, we tried our very best to unite against an Obama agenda that was exceedingly liberal. And we did pretty well on the stimulus, which is the, the parallel to this COVID, COVID package, but we, we still had a couple of Republicans to vote for it. We went forward with a budget where we opposed, we opposed closing down of Guantanamo. And then all of a sudden we found ourselves in late spring in the middle of a healthcare debate that eventually became Obamacare, where the real rejuvenation of the Republican Party and the energy behind a new conservative movement was formed. So for all of the liberals who are out there saying, you know, Republicans are dead and buried. They're split between, you know, Trump and anti-Trump. All that's nonsense. You need to focus on what's happening right now with Republicans organizing against these very meaningful, incredibly liberal, absolutely damaging pieces of legislation COVID package is one. I'll tell you one that's worse, and it's coming up. It's this HR1 elections garbage. Yeah. We need to talk about this bill in detail because it is essentially the worst nightmare for the Republican Party. I don't say that lightly. HR1 is an absolute nightmare. They're going to try to tell you that, oh, no, this is only making everything fair for for all Americans. No, folks, this this is the problem. This is you know, how you have policies like yeah, uh, um, ballot harvesting and every single, you know, liberal wish list item for them to make sure that they can dominate every election. It's in there. Yeah, it, it's just to give you an example, everybody who was complaining about what we were dealing with, with all the states changing their their laws and rules as it applied to the 2020 election, this codifies that and then some. 
first of all, it's a federal takeover of elections. They want the federal government to fund elections, meaning the incumbents are, are basically an incumbent protection program. The second piece of it, which is just incredible to me, is that you can't have voter ID, right? You wouldn't want to know who your voter is, but it mandates same day registration without an ID, by the way. So just think about how that works. <laughs> D- doesn't allow you to keep your, your voter rolls updated. So it can you can move to 17 different states and be on everybody's voter rolls and there's no real way to... And you can ballot harvest nationwide. So you don't have to actually check people's ID, but you can show up and register... 17 people in an apartment complex, give them the ballot, have them vote and walk out. I mean, this, this, that is voter fraud. You know, I mean, all the nonsense that we were talking about, about bags of ballots and stuff that were never proven, like that, that, that's like the mother load of, of crime, which as far as I've seen, there's no evidence of. But this is structured, institutionalized, legalized stealing of votes. And that's what they are trying to do. If you have any interest in trying to have a conservative movement that's at all competitive, zone in on this. We're going to spend a lot of time on the Variety program talking about HR1 because it literally is the difference between us being able to compete in elections in the future and not. Yeah. And and, and one other thing I would point out, and we've mentioned this previously on the podcast, but you know, I, I think this HR1, you know, under the guise of being an election reform bill is the best um, pathway for the Democrats um, and their liberal paymasters to get rid of the filibuster. And that, you know, they're going to call this the John Lewis Voting Rights Act or whatever. And they're going to launch a big PR campaign uh, around this legislation and basically say, if you don't want to vote for this, then you're a racist. And if you're a racist, then, you know, your opinion doesn't matter. And if your opinion doesn't matter, then why should we have a filibuster in the first place? Um, and yeah. so and so, you know, we we need to preempt that um, with all the sort of stuff that Holmes just discussed about what's in the legislation, because it would it would codify things like ballot harvesting it would federalize our elections, which elections are state run for a reason, guys, like we live in a, a democracy that respects state rights states rights and you know the states are supposed to administer their elections like that's the way it's supposed to go you know i mean like you want more federal involvement in the elections like what the fuck is wrong with you also i want to fact check duncan we live in a republic okay yeah this isn't a federalist (laughs) papers podcast we all know very clear united states of america we let our listeners to believe there would be no federalist papers here (laughs) who who would have thought that smug would be the guy to be we have to hey man the well actually this is the guy he's not supposed to be reading I doesn't even read, but he's given us the republic. I remember it's to the republic, you know. You, you have to know the Pledge of Allegiance, folks. Republic, yeah. Right. The, the the point stands nationalizing elections is an insane maneuver. It's it, it makes zero sense, but Duncan is hundred percent on target. They're going to try to say if you oppose this, you're racist. They're gonna to try to get rid of the filibuster for this. And HR one, everyone needs to be tuned in on this. This is going to be a huge deal, and we need to fight it tooth and nail. And the difference between Ruthless and a lot of other conservative outlets is that we're not going to sit there and wait till we lose yep. and show you the reasons why. Right? We have no time for that bullshit. We're going to go out and try to win. And in order to win, you all need to be focused on HR1. HR1 should be the only focus you know, we, we, we have to have everybody in on this because it's going to be an absolute battle. Their, their side is going to spend so much money. They're going to say everyone who opposes us is a racist. The, the, they're going, they're going to say the craziest things. They're going to be like filibuster is a Jim Crow law. Like they're going to come out with all the the favorite part about that. My favorite part about that is, is the Jim Crow. They'll, they'll say it's a relic of Jim Crow, which is what Obama used. And they use the relic of Jim Crow to filibuster Tim Scott's police reform bill. Yeah, black um, Republican. Right. <laughs> I mean, what a bunch of absolute clowns. Just clowns. But anyway, so we're, we're going to stay on this. I actually got a call today from a very uh, powerful Republican senator wishing to come on the program and outline uh very specifically why we should all be paying attention to this so look for that in the next couple weeks
great plug. And now, now that you folks, we've, we've served up the broccoli, it's time. The people cry out for King of the Hill. Oh, the dessert. This is so good. <laughs> it's so good. It's, it's become the fan favorite, really, of all the games. We've had a lot of really good games. This one is the fan favorite, though. And for good reason, man. I mean, the takes that the the takes that are out there, and, and and the thing is that it's 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 shifting. You know, like who would have thought Matthew Dowd was just like a top tier contender? He's ascendant. He's really ascendant. And I mean, it's we we also talked about the liberal hack tournament and 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 doing a um, you know live draw um, mm-hmm. here on Friday or over the course of the weekend or whatever. You know, it's sort of similar to that. It's like people have these moments where they get really hot, you know, and if you look <laughs> yeah. back at the liberal hack tournament, you probably reseed it differently. Now, who would have thought that that Matthew Dowd would be, you know, really a, a, a number one seed contender? Dowd is like Duke Final Four <laughs> status right now. The dude is just dropping them. Like I was I, a three time King of the Hill champion. Three, I mean, that is I'm stunned. Like I, I never expected he had it in him. The first time I picked him, you know, to, to champion the, the the brainworm takes. But since then, you know, I feel like the show being being crowned king of the hill has just inspired him to get on Twitter. It's like a Rocky montage, you know, like <laughs> he's just like he gets up. He has he, he has the eggs. He, yeah, it's the he, raw he, eggs he, for he, breakfast. He, he's downing like 10 eggs in the morning and he hits the gym. And he pulls out the phone and he's like, these takes got to be nuclear. Like we're unleashing all the brain worms. And since then, like, I mean, he, he beat Jen Rubin, folks. That alone shall let you know how serious he is. But he has continued to. He had a mental breakdown like the last weekend, a week ago, you know, seeing the minions in his replies constantly tagging me and josh of like, like this take is something else it's like it's like the rocky where he was facing drago and he's is, you know, doing the montage and at the end at the end he's standing on the top of the mountain and he's like ruthless that's it dude that's exactly it <laughs> and and over the past week i i his takes have been incredible well, I'm so, so ready hold on just 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 to set the table here for our listeners who may not be familiar with the with this mm-hmm. segment i just want to uh-huh. lay around the the ground rules here for king of the hill which is that smug and holmes both get three tweets mm-hmm. from their champion for the week uh matthew dowd is the reigning champion i believe a three-time champion and mm-hmm. um you know holmes has to bring i'm sorry wait holmes do you have dowd no, I have doubt. No. I have doubt. Okay, okay. So smug. I has wish doubt. I had doubt. Smug, <laughs> smug has doubt. Holmes has to bring a challenger. Three tweets from the challenger, and then I serve as judge and jury, and they they go tweet against tweet, and you know we we score the rounds, and the winner is king of the hill. Important important rule update: when you are defeated, you have to take a week off. You can't immediately come back. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you're battered and bruised. You're battered and bruised. You know, you need to to get healthy. Was defeated last week and will be taking the week off. I have a new selection, a a newcomer to the program. Let's go ringside. Yeah, let's let's get those intros. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention, please. It's time for King of the Hill. And now, in the red corner, fighting out of Pierre Omadier's checkbook, standing five feet five inches tall, an elderly former conservative who personally wrote Sarah Palin's name on the Republican presidential ticket. Cruising Bill Crystal. <laughs> this is so good. What a treat. Wow. So good. What a challenger. That's a great pick, Holmes. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty excited about it. You know, I mean, look, this guy's lost his mind. And <laughs> I think any I think any given week, anything can happen. Now, 
Like we said, we didn't know that Dowd would be a three-time champion taking out Ruben twice and Navarro once. I mean, that, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a heavy hitter. Bring in a crystal. I know you mean business. But if anybody can do it, it's this geriatric. And, you know, the man needs no introduction, but can we, can we ha- go ringside and welcome the reigning champion? And now, in the blue corner, your reigning champion, fighting out of his own Twitter account, standing five feet seven inches tall, a three-time king of the hill, Matthew Mel Pattern Down. <laughs> I mean, man, the man who cucked Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. I do. I love this. Seg- <laughs> I I love this segment because it's a complete surprise to me. You know, that's the thing. Is 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 Holmes and Smug procure these these artisanal tweets. Yeah. And, and 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 they're read live here on the pod. I I haven't read any of these, so it's like I, you're getting the unvarnished take from from me, your judge and jury. So who starts on this one? Is it he? Does he start? Is it champion or is it challenger? I can never remember. I think it's champion. It's champion. Yeah, yeah. You have to go twice. You go first the first round and first the third round. Okay. Right, Smug, what do you got? Let's see. <laughs> see, I, I, the the winning tweet for Dowd was the one for, for for folks who didn't listen to the to the previous showdown. He won on the retweet. If you agree, Just, it's the meta game of Twitter. It was so boomer. Well, there are many aspects to an appropriate selecting a tweet because you got to read the judge and the jury. Yeah, yeah. You so know, so Dowd is a champion of of of, of the brainwormness of the meta game of Twitter. And on, on March 2nd, Matthew Dow drops. I love how people bring up tweets from a year ago as if we don't gather more information, that things change. New data is available, and therefore our thoughts adapt. Lordy. Mm. I like that. It's, oh. It's like, why do I need to have any kind of consistency in my thought? The brain's, you know, the brainworms continue eating. It you know what's the funny thing about that particular one is that it's because of the nature of King of the Hill and being former Republicans gone lib, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's really something he gives himself an excuse of like why I have no core and whatever will get me on TV. Cause now he lost his like ABC contract, apparently. Yeah. Many people saying, you know, the reason out there. If you know, folks. Hit that tip line. It's mysterious. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm trying to, so what I'm trying to figure out is whether I stick with the genre. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. And, and that's, you know, for our listeners, that's, that's sort of the, the, the subtext here to the game that makes the strategy is like, once a tweet has been deployed into King of the Hill, like you, you might have to augment your strategy. Yeah, because I'm trying. I have I have a tweet here that fits the genre of of a a mind that has been wormed <laughs> and, and changed fundamentally. Um, uh, but I also have two other real. F- uh, okay, I think I think I know what I'm going to do. Governor Abbott is going to be responsible for more avoidable COVID hospitalizations and deaths than all the undocumented immigrants coming across the Texas border put together. Okay. I mean, it's red fucking hot. It's red hot. <laughs> I, mean, I had to lead with it. It's just Man. nuclear. This is tough. This is a tough one for the for the judge and jury, because they're you know they're they're sort of different. They are. Um, well, I wanted to see because if I lose this with that, then I know that I can come back to my genre and feel pretty confident with it. I just I what I what I respect about that that tweet from from Crystal is like 
the guy just like powers right through any sort of like information or data <laughs> or statistics to support it. And it's just like fucking send tweet. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nuclear. It's incredible. You know, I, man, the thing I really liked about uh, Dowd's tweet, though, is it is sort of like your perfect and quintessential. Like whenever people say what about ism or whatever in the media and, and 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 the blue checks really hate when you call them out for mm -hmm. being inconsistent um because it is all performative theater and it's all kayfabe totally. um where they're outraged by things when a republican does it and they're not outraged when democrats do it yada 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 and so it's sort of like you know dowd's he's sort of said the quiet part loud which is we expect you to be consistent when you have a take a year later <laughs> Um, so I respect that. Okay, I think I've made my decision though. Dowd was good, but you just cannot top that that crystal hot fire. I, I have to admit, it's a very fair decision by the judge. That was hot fire. I had to bring fire. I had to bring fire. Well, yeah, and, and that's another one of the strategies, right? It's like you're going against the the champ, the king. You gotta you gotta punch him in the nose. You gotta make him bleed a little. He's gotta respect you in the first round, and so he's gotta respect your jab. Yeah, I respect you know, and, and that's that's the truth. You know, I thought this is gonna be just a straight up steamroll, but hey, you know, doubt is a deep well when it comes to the takes. I'm ready to roll. So Holmes has won. Uh, he won round one, and now he has to go first for round two. Okay. Bill Crystal, just, just yesterday. For what it's worth, Biden can frame the $1.9 trillion package as both strengthening the safety net and a springboard to a new economic activity as part of an overall agenda designed to foster both security, opportunity, equality, upward mobility, compassion, and innovation. A new liberalism? Oh, I got this. I got this. The key to it. A new liberalism? It's Get ready for this take. It's the key. It's the key. It's like you name a hundred different virtues and he's like, oh, the, but this it's new because I'm on board now. So it's new. The same, the same, by the way, he just eviscerated the Obama stimulus, which is like a thousand times better than this dog. Well, look, I'm not going to comment as judge and jury. I will remain impartial during this point in, in round two. I needed to advocate. Here, here's Matthew Dowd on March 3rd, talking about Cuomo. Quote, every misdeed of a politician doesn't mandate the political death penalty of resigning. One can hold someone accountable and not insist on resignation. Punishment should depend upon misdeed. I said same during Al Franken. You know, I wish, uh, you know, the tens of thousands of people who died because of Cuomo could have a take. Particularly given this guy's personal experience. <laughs> it's pretty, it, you can see why you'd want to be a little. <laughs> Ooh, um, Should I repeat that one? Because it's, it's a great take. I'd love to read it again. Why don't you do that? You know, the, the, the the judge and jury is going to is going to do a little research on his own i think key key to determining the winner in this round is i'm going to need some supportive evidence so why don't you mm -hmm. go ahead and read it again while i look that up here we go matthew dowd march 3rd every misdeed of a politician doesn't mandate the political death penalty of resigning one can hold someone accountable and not insist on resignation punishment should depend upon misdeed i said same during l franken situation I, so the question is did he during the al franken situation well you know i'm not looking at that so much as i'm looking at what he said during brett kavanaugh oh here's Man. matt here's matthew dowd let's presume she's telling the truth weird seems like wow. a different that seems like a different standard wow wow we're all for due process when it's a democrat uh yeah um i mean crystal's take is really good too um 
new liberalism. Well, see what I what I love about that is it, it, it it's sort of this fig leaf, right? Like because he's supposed to be the principled, yeah, conservative, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, who's more conservative than any of us? You know, he's the one really fighting for the future of the conservative movement. So he spends ninety eight percent of his tweet cheerleading for a new era of big government and then ends it with a question <laughs> here's the thing is you know he's just like it's not like he's saying those things are good he's saying those things are facts is this the new era that's <laughs> <laughs> like yeah the, be the beauty of doubt is he knows he's a complete hypocrite like you called him out on kavanaugh Hence the first tweet where he's like, guys, I can have any opinion I want. Don't bring up my old tweets. That's how fucking brain worms he is. At this point, he's like, I'm just going to demand whatever I want. There has to be no reason to it. Yeah, I mean, look. Come on, Crystal, put him away. Uh, Crystal's tweet is fantastic, but the duplicity of Dowd here takes the day. It, and, and so it's the scores one to go. one. We go to the third round. Okay. Bringing out the big guns. Okay. I got a doozy too, folks. Dowd, okay. Dowd, Dowd, Dowd's ready for round three. All right. You lead with it, pal. <clears throat> March 2nd, Matthew Dowd. Just because GOP and Congress won't support COVID bill doesn't make it partisan. It means GOP isn't doing what citizens want. Two-thirds of country supports this package, Democrats and independents and Republicans. <laughs> so just because Republicans don't support it doesn't mean it's not bipartisan, folks. <laughs> That's a take. <laughs> Listen, only Democrats voted for it, so it's bipartisan. It's a, down. <laughs> it's a it is a brainworms take. But it is it is like the DNC uh, press secretary take, right? I mean so officially, only Democrats voting for a bill is bipartisan. Good work, Matthew Dowd. What a take. <laughs> Just because Republicans didn't vote for it doesn't mean it's not bipartisan, folks. <laughs> I mean, it's good. It's good. I think I've got him. I think I've got him. Wow. Bill Crystal, March 6th, 918 a.m. You did not like Trump and his scam. I did not. Never Trump I am. I would not, could not vote for him. I tried to help Joe Biden win. Now it's better. It's pretty good in America's neighborhoods. What of Trump with her GOP? For now from his party, let me be free. Wow. Wow. The guy went Dr. Seuss. He went Dr. Seuss, an implicit defense of the canceling of Dr. Seuss. I, 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 I like how he had to make the rhyme work. So he said, that's pretty good. <laughs> he says pretty good under Joe Biden. Pretty, pretty good. It's pretty good. It's now it's better. It's pretty good in America's neighborhoods. Um, Smug, I'm going to have to have you read read yours again. Absolutely. March 2nd, Matthew Down. Just because GOP and Congress won't support COVID bill doesn't make it partisan. It means GOP isn't doing what citizens want. Two-thirds of country supports this package. Democrats and independents and Republicans. Hey, just because the GOP didn't vote for the bill, only Dems did, doesn't mean it's it's partisan. Democrats only equals bipartisan. Good work, Matthew Dowd. These are, you know, as as often comes before the judge and jury. We got we have two final tweets. Uh, very divergent. Mm -hmm. And I, I just I would like I would like to test this particular judge and jury on creativity of the brain. Wow. Well, so, so, Not, yeah, wow. So, so so there is there is I have my faith something. in the judge and jury. This is no test. I have full faith in their decision making. Well, there's precedent being set here, Smug. Well, uh, you know, I, look, let me speak to each tweet's strength. With Dowd, we have um, basically, you know, stenographer work from, you know, 
the DSCC, the DCCC, and the DNC, right? I mean, I don't know. You could pull, you could pull any bill and find opposite party support for said piece of legislation and claim it's bipartisan, regardless of who supports it in Congress, right? So, like, it's on its face a ridiculous argument to make. You didn't get a single Republican vote. So there's that, right? Kind of a beltway argument, though. Crystal's take synthesizes so much of the very online online crowd. Just the cringe. It synthesizes cringe, cringe content. It synthesizes culture war with Seuss. And it, it it's just it's just so incredibly pathetic in how he's such a lapdog for the Democratic establishment while claiming to be a Republican. I got to give it to Crystal. That's a knockout. Oh, the king you know, is hey, falling. Uh, you know, that that was a hell of a tweet from Crystal. That was that was a that was a battle. I will say that that was a battle. I, I, I got to tell you, I've taken I put some serious time into finding these tweets because the last two Dow just blew my girl out of the water. I mean, Dowd is strong. I mean, he's I, I'm going to I'm going to push to have him very, you know, get get him a very low seed. He can be back in two weeks on King of the Hill. But, you know, so I there was a time. When uh, Jen Rubin was so dominant. Mm-hmm. You know, where there was discussions internally yeah. within Ruthless, we, there's discussions like, you know, do we do we hang the jersey from the rafters? Yeah. Like, can anyone yeah. compete with Jen Rubin and her brainworms? And and, and uh, you know, I'm I'm heartened to see so many other contenders out there. Yeah. You know, I think I think the truth is is that these folks are listening to Ruthless, and it's just emboldening <laughs> them to drop these crazier and crazier takes. <laughs> And you know, hats off to Bill Crystal. He brought it. He brought it. And you have to bring it every week to stay king of the hill. That's exactly right. I love it. Let's get uh, moderate Jeff to play us out of here. All right, Smug, just for the Ruthless Variety Program listener. They should be aware that this is going to be a big week in terms of our interview on Thursday. We are going to be bringing big content for that particular episode. But then we are also in preliminary planning stages to release the hack tournament bracket. It's, I mean, it's going to be incredible. I I, I have a feeling we're going to get so much uh, engagement on 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 this year's liberal hack tourney there's so many contenders folks there's so many contenders you're gonna have 65 in the selection sunday we're gonna i you know i'm gonna push i think we should do the live clubhouse naming the 65 it's gonna be huge and the interviews that we have in the books i mean it's gonna be mind-blowing i can't give them away now folks so i like that i like that doing doing a live clubhouse of the selections like on Friday and then, you know, we'll release it over the weekend, you know, selection Sunday sort of thing, you know, special, special episode. Awesome. It's great. Cannot wait. Smug play us out of here, pal. Another great episode in the books, gentlemen, outstanding work, everybody. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.